Hi, this is Editor-in-Chief of Dr. By Cuspid, Teresa Pablos, and I am so excited to be introducing our new Dr. By Cuspid podcast. We are going to be breaking down one of the top stories that you have seen on the website with an expert, and today I'm so excited to be joined by Gary Salmon. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Black Talent Security, and if you can guess based on his title... We're going to be talking about a recent cybersecurity incident that happened to the dental benefits management company, MCNA Dental. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Gary. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Teresa. My pleasure. So for those of you who are a little behind on reading Dr. By Cuspid, there was a cybersecurity attack on the dental benefits management company, MCM. NA Dental. It affected nearly 9 million patients. It was a very popular story on our site, as have been other recent attacks that have affected Great Expressions Dental Centers. There was one recently on um, Tag the Aspen Group. Last year, the ADA was hacked, very high profile. And so I'm just wondering, are there any other recent cybersecurity incidents you're aware of, Gary? And it feels to me like these hacks are happening more frequently. Right. Is that is that true? Yeah. So I, th I think the the challenge here is we typically only hear about the big ones, right? The the DSOs, the insurance carriers, the hospitals, the medical groups, you know that that have you know large infrastructure. What we often don't hear about is the average dental practice, you know, that gets hit because that's typically not making national news. It may make uh, local news. I'll say that when the war between Russia and Ukraine kicked off, almost all the ransomware ceased because a majority mm -hmm. of the ransomware events that we were dealing with, unfortunately, originate from those two countries. And those two countries were now focusing on attacking one another. I will tell you, though, over the last six weeks or so, the ransomware events have skyrocketed. You know, some of the articles that are out there are showing about a 300% increase in cyber attacks over the last few months. So I will tell you that a lot of these threat groups, right, these hacking groups are back at it, and they're back at it really hard right now. Um, we have multiple ransomware events going on right now at Black Talon uh, from, you know, victims that found us online or through, you know, a referral and it's and it's really ugly, unfortunately. You know, there there was definitely a, a hiatus for a while, and a lot of people in the cyber world were like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And then it became pretty evident that you know the hackers were, you know, working for their own countries now and and not going after U.S. infrastructure. But they're definitely back at it, and and a lot of the data that we see, as well as what's available to the public, you know, uh, verifies that as well. Yeah. So for people who are not aware, when mm -hmm. you say ransomware. Yep. What is that and why does it get ugly? So, yeah, ransomware is a huge challenge really for any type of business, but specifically in the healthcare space, dental, medical, the challenge with ransomware is multifaceted. So, so the first problem is, and this is what a lot of dentists don't realize, is that almost all of the hacking groups out there that execute ransomware attacks they steal most or all of the uh, healthcare entities' data. So imagine your practice being hit with ransomware, and before you even know that you were hit by ransomware, the hackers have stolen all your patient records, your X-rays, you know, your 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 lab data, photographs, driver's licenses, insurance cards—literally every single piece of data on your network. And now what they do is they hold you hostage because you may have a viable backup. 
right? And and let's let's explain ransomware. Let's take a step back and explain ransomware a little bit better. Ransomware basically is a piece of malicious code that when hackers deploy it on a doctor's network, it encrypts or locks usually every single file on every computer. So you can see that file name that says, you know, Smith, John, Periapical 1, but when you try and open it or your software tries to open it, it can't because the hackers have basically put those files under lock and key. And the only way to get them back is to either pay the ransom, which we'll talk about, um, or recover from a backup. But here's where it gets problematic. Because the hackers have stolen your data, you are al almost always going to have to pay the ransom because if you don't pay the ransom, the hackers will publish your patient data on the dark web. And the hackers know that actually the value to the practice is the data. So imagine the compliance and legal nightmare that these practices go through when all of their patient data is stolen. This is all publicly accessible. As long as you know how to get on the dark web, you can see it. I've personally seen multiple cases where dental practices have either not known their data has been stolen or failed to pay the ransom or their IT vendor told them, ah, don't pay, we have a backup and all their patient records are there for view for viewing. So you just click on a patient's name and you'll see everything about them. So that's the challenge right now. And that's the reason why in the healthcare space, and I know we're talking about dental right now, it's such a problem. So almost all of the law firms are telling the victims like a dental practice, a doctor, hey, that's cool that you have a backup, but you have to pay the ransom because you will have major compliance and legal issues that will follow you for many years. And unfortunately, what we're starting to see now is a class action lawsuits, which as you can imagine, is not a good situation if you're a doctor. So the lawyers have figured out how to get these class action lawsuits through against dental practices. And now the dental practices not only have an issue with their practice being down for two weeks because of the ransomware event, having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars or even into the millions of dollars to deal with a ransomware event. But now they're getting hit with class action lawsuits from their patients because the patients are claiming that because my data was leaked and my health history form and my personal identity, you know, you've caught, you've caused harm to me. Mm -hmm. And the challenge here is a lot of doctors are like, how are they ever going to figure this out? The law firms, the attorneys look on the same websites we do, you know, and mine the data and be like, Oh, Dr. Mary Stein's office got hit. Yeah, let me look at these patients here and start calling patients and be like, oh, Mrs. Jones, this is the law firm of ABC. Are you aware your data is on the dark web from your dental practice? Uh, and this is how these class action lawsuits start. It's very unfortunate. It, 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 it's a horrible thought that a victim is re-victimized through uh, you know, class action suits. But doctors, everyone has to realize this is what's going on, right? This is no joke, right? We, we've seen dental practices go out of business because they can't afford all of the associated costs with a ransomware attack and, and data theft. And, and unfortunately, what a lot of doctors think is because they have a backup or cloud solution, et cetera, they're just not susceptible to these types of things. And that's just not the case, unfortunately. Now, we've covered, again, a lot of the bigger hacks. Mm -hmm. Are dental companies and dental practices being specifically sought out by some of these um, groups or is it happening more broadly? So, so it's a challenging question. Um, we deal with a ton of practices that have been hit, and those are just the ones that we know about. I'm not 100% convinced that the hackers are going online and saying, uh, find me a dental practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and then, you know, picking, you know, smile dentals of, 
you know, Atlanta. I hope there's not a practice by the name of that, but in concept, right? And and targeting them. I don't believe that's typically the case. I've never really seen any evidence to support that. But the other issue is it's not difficult to get hundreds of thousands of email addresses of all the dentists in the country and then target them with phishing emails where someone in the practice or even the doctor are clicking on a link and then uh, downloading the, the malware into their system, right? The ransomware code. That is an attack that hackers absolutely use. I haven't seen evidence that that's actually happening, but there are plenty of ransomware cases that the point of entry or the cause of the ransomware attack hasn't been um, discovered through like a forensics investigation. One could argue that 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 could be you know a methodology that hackers use. I mean, we see it about sixty percent of the hacks in the dental practices are because of phishing emails. Whether or not that doctor was specifically targeted or you know, that email address just showed up in a list that the hackers had. It's all all possible. Um, so yeah, we see a lot of that. And we also see a lot of breaches in the dental space because uh, computers, firewalls have vulnerabilities that the, ha the hackers find by scanning the network, obviously without the practice's permission. And they exploit these vulnerabilities, which is basically like a flaw, right? A flaw in the piece of hardware, a flaw in the piece of software, hackers will exploit it and they gain full access to the network. And now we're seeing that they start stealing data within 83 minutes of gaining access to a practice's network. And typically a dental practice has no type of technology in their environment that's gonna alert anyone that their data is being stolen. They may have antivirus software that may trigger once they start deploying their malware, but that's why these hackers are moving to data theft because typically alarm bells aren't going off anywhere on the computers or at the IT company alerting. So, you know, that that's that's the challenge we're seeing uh, in, in terms of the dental space. But as I said before, when practices get hit, they don't run around and tell everyone, right? They're not telling all of their friends and colleagues and, and, and everyone else um, that they've been hit. So it is often difficult to track exactly how many practices are being hit. Um, but I would bet every year it's in the thousands minimum, you know. Do you feel like when it comes to these cybersecurity incidents, it's not an if, but a when? It's absolutely a when. You know, uh, if you look at how fast the cyber world is evolving right now, it, it's very difficult to keep up. And I think one of the things we like the most and fear the most, the two-letter word that everyone is talking about, AI, all right, artificial intelligence. It is crazy how quickly the AI is moving the needle, both for the good guys and the bad guys. So it is truly a cat and mouse game right now. But in the most simplistic terms or concepts, think about how a foreign adversary used to target us through phishing and spear phishing emails. They would have to craft the email. The language was typically horrible. A person at the office is like, this didn't come from this person. Like they can't even write English. That was only just a you know a year or two ago where we were, we were seeing poorly crafted phishing and spear phishing emails. Now with the advent of the language models like ChatGPT, I can go in there with my native language, say, write me a referral letter, you know, from practice A to practice B in English, and the ChatGPT will fire this thing off, and it'll be perfectly written like it was written from a doctor, you know, and almost impossible to pick up. That's how good this is getting. So imagine, you know, a hacker from a foreign country who does not speak English well being able to craft a message that might even be better than most doctors can write. I mean, that's that's scary, right? And then they mm -hmm. insert their link to a piece of malicious code. So instead of it being like an X-ray that you know is is embedded into the 
referral letter, maybe from the uh, the GP to the oral surgeon, for instance, it's a link to a piece of malicious code. And, you know, Mary or Steve at the front desk just goes click, clicks on the link. And the next thing you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes later, everyone's complaining the network's down because they got hit by ransomware, right? It was self-induced, someone self-inflicted, I should say, someone clicked on the link. That scares me a lot because, you know, I, I know how effective, well-crafted, um, social engineering messages are like phishing and spear phishing. So that's that's definitely a challenge that we're all going to have to face. I you know I will say that there will probably be some new tools out that can differentiate you know a human written message versus an AI generated message. And if you use AI enough, you start to kind of see how AI writes messages. And you know you can kind of say, hey, did you write this or did ChatGPT write this? But for the average person, they're not going to figure that out. So ho hopefully we can you know beat the hackers at their own game with you know, better tools and better training. Yeah. And let's talk about the hackers. So in the case of the MCNA hack, mm. um, a ransomware gang claimed responsibility for the hack. And right. so um, my question is like, who are these gangs and right. what is their benefit to letting others know we're here and we're responsible for this crime? Yeah. Notoriety is is probably the reason, right? These, these hackers want to make a name for themselves. And that's always been what the hacking community is, is typically been about. Um, and, and more and more with ransomware now, right? Ransomware has been around, let's just say for argument's sake, around 10 years, but really prevalent since around 2017, 2016. Um, so who are these ransomware groups, right? So they're known typically as threat actors. Um, and there's about 25 primary hacking groups out there that deploy ransomware. Um, they are often in countries like Russia, unfortunately, Ukraine, right, and and, and many other uh, countries throughout the world. North Korea is into the ransomware game right now, unfortunately, and they all have their own brand identity. It's crazy, right? They have their own colors, like a gang, a street gang. They have their own fonts, so um, their logos. They own. They all have, for the most part, their own dark web websites where they release all of this confidential data that's been stolen from these businesses. Um, and they have their own, you know, tactics and techniques. So some hackers target specific sectors like critical infrastructure. Others will hit whoever they can hit. Others actually have exclusions. There are a couple of hacking groups that say on their dark web website that we don't attack hospitals, you know, but they will say we attack doctors, dentists, plastic surgeons, literally on their website. But they say, if you, you are a hospital and you've been hit by us, tell us and we will give you the decryption code to unlock what we've done. And it, it's crazy. Like you just can't make this stuff up, uh, but that, right. I know you're laughing. You just, you can't, it's hard to understand, right? How, are, how is that, you know, right. You know, you can hit any business uh, except for hospitals. Like you shouldn't be hitting any businesses period, but they're criminals, right. And, and they can do whatever they want, unfortunately. So it, it is definitely sometimes a, a, a weird, a weird world that we operate in. Um, so yeah, they, they do have different techniques that they utilize to strike victims. Some focus primarily on email. And what they'll do is they'll deliver phishing and spear phishing emails to the doctors and uh, their employees and the employees click on things. That's the initial entry point for the hacking uh, for the hackers. So they'll they'll deliver some type of payload that someone releases on their own network. It's, you know, it's unfortunate. That's how it works. Others will... Um, 
scan the network for vulnerabilities and, and look to break in that way. So that's typically the way we see the networks uh, breached, either through vulnerability exploitation or through these um, these phishing emails. We, we say typically from our experience, because we do forensics investigations too, 60% of the breaches are through uh, phishing emails, spear phishing emails, and about 40% are through this vulnerability exploitation. But a lot of practices are, in fact, focusing on training and using platforms to educate their doctors and team on phishing and spear phishing. I would say 95% of dental practices have no technology in their environment to identify vulnerabilities. So they have this 40-ish percent exposure they're, they're not even addressing. And time and time again, unfortunately, these dental practices are falling victim um, because they had no visibility into their risk and they didn't address it. So, uh, But that's that's typically what we see in terms of you know who they are, where they are, um, and, and their uh, their attack methodologies. In terms of ransom payments, it's all over the map, but I will tell you the ransom demands are skyrocketing. Uh, we're doing a breach right now with a little over 100 computers. So one would argue that's a little bit bigger than the average size dental practice, but the ransom mm -hmm. demand was seven, just shy of $700,000. Wow. All right. So if you're a multi-location practice with three or four uh, physical locations, you're probably not that far off from those number of computers. You know, if you're if you're 20-ish to 25 computers per location, depending on how big you are. So it's not out of the, the, the range of a lot of practice. If you're a smaller practice, I mean, we've seen quarter million dollar ransom demands from a GP practice, you know, with 15 computers. The wow. reason they're skyrocketing is twofold. One, the hackers know that healthcare data is highly valuable, and they also know our HIPAA laws. They know that if this data is released, the practice has compliance uh, issues they're going to deal with, both at the state and federal level, and then obviously the, the, the lawsuits. And the other reason is insurance policies. Most of the hackers know that most healthcare entities have cyber insurance, and those policies are often 250 to multi-millions of dollars. So they'll start high. You know, assuming, hey, if they have a policy for a million dollars, we'll get a million dollars out of the insurance policy. So the days of having ransom demands of like $5,000, that's all gone. That's been gone for years. And I think a lot of doctors, when I tell them that or I, or I lecture, I'm like, hey, what would happen if you got hit with a six-figure ransom demand? Could you actually pay that? You know, and it's very unfortunate because like I said earlier, we've seen practices go out of business because they didn't have enough insurance. They couldn't handle, you know, the, the or they couldn't pay the amount that was required by the hacker. So they, they folded, you know, it's, it's the saddest part of the business. So something that I'm curious about is, are you or a similar cybersecurity company negotiating with yep. the ransom group over mm -hmm. how much? Yeah. To pay, we have we're 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 in the process of dealing with multi millions of dollars of ransom demands, like right now in 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 real time, you know, with multiple victims. So basically, the way it works is let's pick a practice, Smile Dental, right? Smile Dental gets hit today with ransomware. Um, typically, what happens is the insurance company or the IT company will bring in a specialist company like ours to come in and do the incident response. It's technically known as a digital forensics and incident response investigation or a defer company. And what we'll do is we'll take control of the entire environment and we will 
um, start with what's called like lay of the land, which is we get in there, we deploy some very sophisticated tools in the environment. We try and understand, hey, what happened? What's the extent of the damage that the hackers did? And we start gathering forensic state, almost like a crime scene, like when detectives show up. And then we, we uh, try and figure out, hey, who is the hacking group? So the hackers typically leave their fingerprint purposely. They leave a ransom note. They're like, hey, we are, you know, Black Basta. We hit you with ransomware. Here's the dark web website. You have to go to start talking with us. So we'll get on the dark web. We start communicating with the hackers uh, using some, you know, technology, some special technology. And the hackers will say something like, hey, we hit you for $500,000. You have to pay in nine days. Okay. And then they have a countdown clock. You literally watch the clock counting down. And oh we go gosh. back to the practice, right? The insurance company figure out, hey, how much, how much insurance is available? How much can they pay? Sometimes the doctors have to pay some money because they don't have enough coverage and the insurance carrier pays the other amount. And it's a hostage negotiation at that point, right? The practice is completely down. They're not functioning. All of the computers are basically done. They're toast. And now we're just going back and forth with the hackers to try and come up with a number. Once we agree on a number, then... The doctor or the insurance carrier will pay us whatever the negotiated rate is. So let's say we negotiated $300,000. They'll pay us $300,000. We convert it to cryptocurrency. We have to do a background check to make sure we're not wiring money to uh, transferring cryptocurrency to you know a nation state or a terrorist organization, right? Because then I go to jail, right? We don't want that where the doctor goes to jail. Um, so once that's been cleared by the federal government, then we can make the uh, payment to the hackers and the hackers typically turn over the keys and the keys unlock the files. So it you know, conceptually takes that padlock off that file, unlocks it, and then the network has to be rebuilt, software has to be reinstalled. It's, it's a huge mess. So believe it or not, the average number of days that a practice is down, regardless of the size, regardless of the backups they may have is about 10 days. So literally the practice can't see patients for the most part for 10 days. So not only are you losing money to pay this ransom, mm -hmm. but also you're losing money because your practice is down. Practice is down. Can't take x-rays. You can't view previous x-rays. You can't look at health history. Um, can't get to your schedule. You know, it's, it's, it's a nightmare that's hard to describe to someone who hasn't gone through it. And it's very unfortunate, you know, and, and you see the doctors melt down, you know, because they're, they don't know, you can't control this. We don't know the outcome. Usually the outcome is, I'll, I'll do air quotes, good, meaning there is a resolution, but you're at the mercy of these criminals. You know, and it's not like you can just, you know, fly over and put them in handcuffs and take them back and have them give you the key to unlock all this stuff. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, typically, even for a small practice, you're not getting away uh, with this for less than $100,000. So you know, so it's, it's tough. It's, I would say it's a very difficult part of our business. I mean, we love helping people, but, you know, having to watch the doctor, the staff and the patients suffer from these types of events is, is not enjoyable. It's, 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 it's a pretty, you know, bad part of our business per se, right. To, to, to watch the emotional aspect of this. So. Yeah. I, and so, sorry, my dog is barking because um, <laughs> no he was out the door, but um, I'm curious to kind of wrap things up. What can people listening to this podcast do to protect themselves um, and their business? Right. Yeah. So as much as we talked about and, you know, 
everyone's like taking shots right now because they're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear this anymore. Right. So it, it is a tough pill to swallow because, because everyone probably felt like, hey, I'm safe. I'm fine. Right. I'm, I'm protected by my IT company. But what we often hear is doctors who are victimized by these attacks, they met with their IT company. The IT companies assured them that they were secure and everything is fine. And they turn around, they still get hit. So I think one of the most important things is understanding risk. So what I always say to doctors is, if I asked you right now, doctor, how do you know you're actually secure for someone just telling you you're secure? You know what 99% of the doctors say? I have no idea, right? I have no idea. I don't know if I'm actually secure. I'm just being told I have a firewall and I have an antivirus software. So one of the things that is very common in the healthcare space, you know, you're looking at, you know, physicians groups, hospitals, things like that, is these types of entities engage with a third-party cybersecurity company because they have the IT company coming in and providing basic security and services. And then a third party comes in and actually does all the monitoring and the testing and then reports back to the, the, the in this case, the dental practice and the doctor saying, hey, here's where you're doing really well from a security perspective, but here are all your holes and here are your risks. And here's how you fix your security. And it's being done by a third party. So what I always say is, can't have an IT company setting up the security and testing their own security. It doesn't logically make any sense. Like you can't have the fox guarding the hen house. So um, in basic terms, I think the best way that practices can protect themselves is they should engage a third-party cybersecurity company to get a true transparent picture of how good their security is. Second, security has to be an ongoing process. There's no such thing as a one-time test that tells you whether you're secure or not. Because after 30 days, the data is useless, right? The, the, the hacking community is moving so quickly and exploiting vulnerabilities that these annual tests that are being done by a lot of IT companies, they're just useless. So how do you address security and how do you protect your practice? So the good news is if you implement some of the things that I'm about to tell you right now, you have a really, really strong defense in, in uh, defense of protecting your, your patients and your practice. So let's kind of break these down real quick. First, you have to test your network for vulnerabilities. Your firewall has to be tested every single day for vulnerabilities. These are usually, um, these types of tests are being done by cyber companies that have very sophisticated tools that launch uh, cyber attacks against the firewalls, simulating an attack from a hacker. And then that data is turned over to the IT company showing them where they have holes in their firewall and where they don't. The computers, the computers have to be tested every day for vulnerabilities as well. In fact, Really, what I like to say, the standard of care right now is test your computers every four hours. So there's some very sophisticated software that can be placed on all of your computers. And Sorry, every four hours? Every four hours because- Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is where we are, right? The, the test that, to put this into perspective, right? I know you want to wrap up here, but to put it in perspective, three years ago, we were testing computers every 90 days. Two years ago, we went to monthly- and then this year, right, we're down to testing the computers, you know, every every four hours. So what this vulnerability scanner will do is it will look for these, you know, vulnerabilities, these unlocked doors and windows on the computers. Vulnerability scanners uh, have nothing to do with antivirus software, two totally different technologies. You're talking like, you know, motorcycle versus plane. So these vulnerability scanners need to be in place on all the computers. You have to train your team. So it is required under federal law. You have to train your staff on cyber threats, how to detect them, et cetera, so they can be the first line of defense when those emails come in or when they're surfing the internet. So that can be handled by training platforms that educate on these types of things. 
You need to do a security risk assessment, which I won't get into a lot of detail. That's also required under HIPAA. So that helps identify, you know, through conversations with a security engineer where you have risk at your practice. The other thing that I want to see in every single practice is a relatively new technology that uses AI. Um, it's known as EDR, which is um, endpoint detection and response, like Edward David Robert, or extended detection and response, X-ray David Robert. And what this technology does is it's very effective at detecting threats that make it through your firewall and into your environment, or Stacy at the front desk throws a flash drive in the computer that has malware on it. Um, so it actually uses AI to try and detect these things versus older school antivirus software, which has like a dictionary of known threats. Um, understand that nothing is 100%. These things are not, you know, you know, maybe they're 95% effective at blocking, um, you know, malicious code and, and ransomware. But the hackers, unfortunately, have access to this technology too, and often try and engineer their code to, to trick the AI. So the, the key thing to understand here is these four uh, elements that I just described are starting to become required by insurance carriers in order to bind cyber coverage. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is we're having a lot of practices that go to renew their cyber policy, denied, right? Then they come to us and like, oh, we didn't know we needed two-factor authentication and you know EDR and, and pen testing and training. Can you guys help us out with that? And that's you know where 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 we help them. The 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 challenge here typically is the doctors don't know what questions to ask. So I think, you know, this is great because now doctors can say, hey, wow, I didn't know about this technology. And, you know, instead of my policy being denied and taking months to renew it, you know, maybe I can get ahead of this and, and, and be proactive. And I think that's the light at the end of the tunnel. He says, you know, as much as what we discussed, for lack of a better word, kind of sucks, right? It, it, it's a tough pill to swallow. There is very, very effective security that can be implemented at practices and you know what? It's not that expensive. Like a lot of doctors think it's thousands of dollars per month. It's a fraction of that. Um, and it's just peace of mind, right? You don't want you don't want to go through what your colleagues are going through with with ransomware events. So I mean, it it's probably much cheaper than having to pay one of those big oh, ransoms. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Six, six figures versus, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. I think anyone would take those, uh, take those numbers. Um, I do have one final question because of what you just said, which is, again, even just on a personal standpoint, it feels like the rate of acceleration of how good cybersecurity incidents or attacks are getting. Um, just wh where do you see the future going? Like, are, are the white hat hackers going to get better? Mm. Is the software going to get better? Right. Um, I like how how does this resolve so mm -hmm. it, it's not hopefully in the future not an if but a when to like an an unlikely if if that makes sense right so I think I think you asked a really interesting question I I equated to either like a cat and mouse game or if you look at it it's not the best analogy right it's warfare and and that's what we're seeing and think about our own technology from a warfare perspective. We have some of the most advanced, you know, stealth fighters and bombers in the world that evade radar systems. Then all of a sudden, 
China's like, oh, hold on a second. I figured out a new way to pick up, you know, the U.S.'s most advanced bomber and, you know, pick them up on their radar. And the U.S. figures out that China can now detect their bombers. And they go back and be like, all right, here's some new paint. Paint all the bombers, you know, with this new paint and it'll evade the new Russian radar detection system or, or Chinese, whatever I said. Um, that's where we are in the cyber world conceptually. Right. We companies like ours come out with new methodologies to protect these networks. You know, hackers just sit there and pick away. Right. And then we're, you know, companies like us realize, okay, that's not effective anymore. We have to pivot here. So one of the things that I say is every couple of months, we're reevaluating how we do cybersecurity, the methodologies, the tools, the techniques we use to defend these networks. It, it, it it's 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 mind-boggling as to how fast this stuff is moving, right? Things we were doing a year ago don't even work now in, in concept. Um, and I think that's a challenge also with a lot of IT companies is they do a great job at you know fixing computers and keeping the practice up and running, but they typically don't have the staff um, or the security engineers that can keep uh, up to date with, with these types of uh, advances in, in the cyber world. So you know, if you look at, back, look at what I said at how quickly these networks are being exploited today versus you know, a couple of years ago, I think that number, you know, based on going to the security conferences and just my experience, the time to exploitation right now is about 10 days from when a hacker finds a vulnerability till they build a toolkit to exploit it. I will predict that by the end of this year, it will be down to probably half that five days. And the other problem is AI, right? Uh, these, these engines, you don't know how to, you don't need to know how to code anymore. You can go into some of these engines and ask it certain questions, which I'm not going to disclose publicly, and it'll build, build the malware for you. Don't need to know how to write a line of code. Then you figure out how do I deliver this code into, through an email, which is not difficult at all. You even ask the engine, how to, how do I send, you know, this type of attachment through an email? And now it starts getting delivered to millions of people. You know, right. So as much as AI, I think is extremely positive for healthcare. I think it'll revolutionize our healthcare system and is already. I also know it can be used for, you know, malicious purposes. So, um, yeah, that's, that, 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 those are my that's thoughts. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Right. Like it or like it or not, that's the world we're in. So I think this is probably some of the most fascinating times anyone is ever going to live through, you know, with, with how quickly, you know, AI is here and, and, and cyber threats. I mean, Think about it. In in October, did 99% of the world even know what ChatGPT was? I don't think so. Now everyone talks about it. So it's it's truly fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Gary. And I'm so glad that experts like you are paying attention to all these trends to help dental practices protect themselves and their patients from these kinds of threats. For those of you who want to see more from Gary, be sure to check out Dr. Mike Husband. He's written some articles for us, which already sound outdated. I think you even did one that we published earlier this year. And I'm like, <laughs> that may be outdated based on this conversation because it moves quickly. Um, it does. Which is yeah. crazy. But he will be back with more new information, I'm sure. Um, and thank you so much again for speaking with us, Gary. My pleasure. Stay safe, everyone.